Welcome to the Soccer Podcast, where we talk soccer in Delaware, soccer in the rest of the world, and everything in between. My name is Sebastian, and this week here, I'm joined by Dwayne. Sebastian, what's going on, man? Eventful week over the past week. A lot of games, a lot of Champions League games, a lot of rec soccer games, a lot of travel games. Everybody's been busy around the world. A lot of college games. There's a lot going on. I think today is going to be one of those episodes where we... Where we um, where we, where you and I will talk, we have a 91st minute interview. We have our last of our coaches, Colorado coaches conversations with Fields Brown. But uh, we also are going to talk about uh, the wor- world of soccer, right? So we're going to talk about uh, U.S. men's national team. We're going to talk about Champions League. And we're going to talk about some pretty, um, we're going to talk, talk about some tough topics that, that are going around the women, in the world of women's soccer that I, everything's happening all in the same week and i'm hoping that we're hopefully this starts to mean the the we're close to the end of some of this nonsense that we're dealing with but uh yeah so we got we got rec soccer coming up or we have rec soccer going on halfway through we're we're in our week in our last weekend before our uh columbus day weekend break where all of our teams go to tournaments so we're you know, we got we got team split. We got uh, some of our boys team going going to the Explorer Cup, and then our girls teams and then your two boys teams are going to Deptford. So gotta, uh, we're we're all gotta going, go with where the ladies go. Yeah, we gotta go. We gotta go to Cattell. Is that Cattell Park or whatever it is? Cattell. All the games at the same complex. That's, all the games at the same complex. That's what that was one of the reasons Dwayne and I were looking for somewhere where one stop shop. Um, I can get some food at the same place where I'm coaching my game. I can go. Yeah, they have a concession way. stand uh, menu I, up already. Yeah, there you go. Oh, it's perfect. We don't have a schedule, but we got the menu for the concession stand. Uh, looking for a place where me and Duane can sit in each other's benches. Um, exactly. Uh, so we could park one time. Park one time. Yeah. And not have to do anything. I could bring the Yeti and we can have drinks and all that good stuff for the day. Pack some sandwiches. We we might need to just bring a tent. I've been there before. I don't know if you've been there before. I've been there before. Uh, there's a nice little wooded area. They have this back parking lot in the middle of the woods. Uh, might as well just, we might as well just bring each, bring a tent. And we'll just camp out. I got, I got one of these kids tents. It looks like a rocket with a bunch of stars on it. You think I just bring that out and just try to like put myself I mean, in there? There's literally nowhere to stay in a hotel. I looked that up to make sure if I didn't feel like if I ended up with two eight o'clock games, maybe stay the night. There's not a single hotel. Of, You're better off staying in Delaware. <laughs> yeah, I'm better off crashing at that bed in your basement. You know. Yeah, uh, you're more than welcome to. Um, but yeah, so we're we're excited. Uh, the Deptford tournament's always uh it's always a good event. Um, again, big big draw to it for us on the girls side was the fact that everyone's in the same place uh but i think the boys are going to have a really good time at the explorer cup too yeah absolutely um it's always a competitive tournament you know it's good to you know continue to maintain that relationship with apl and it's also good that sideline you know, soccer solution so oh yeah sorry apl changing their name to sideline soccer solutions thanks for the uh for the reminder yeah. But it's good to uh, be able to send teams to separate places and go to two different tournaments that weekend. And, you know, hopefully we all come back and we'll get to post pictures on Facebook with all of our medals. We'll That's post right. pictures on Facebook anyway, yeah. but hopefully we all have pictures with medals. Right. Yeah. Um, and also we're going to be uh, we're going to be sending out if you're part of our Delaware Union Club, uh, we will be sending out an email uh, today or sometime this weekend. Uh, we got some. We got a. We got a club gear store coming up. Uh, we can be or, be able to order some club gear. 
Uh, so if you're if you're a parent, you want to get some some stuff in before the before the winter comes or rolls around before your next tournament in in November, um, you'll be you'll be set to go. Get that hoodie. That's right. Yeah. Get get yourself some gear. We are back with another segment of the ninety first minute with our guest Fields Brown uh, as part of our Colorado coaches conversations that I've been having while I'm here in Colorado. So uh, Fields, thanks for coming back. Sure thing. Thanks for having me. All right, topic for today, uh, what's important at zone one? So we're talking U9 through U12 at the competitive level, so at the travel age group. Uh, what's important to you, do you think, at zone one? Um, and let's start from a... It's like an organization point? Like something like from a... Yeah, let's... I mean, I'd like to start just from a not on the field. Like yeah, what, perfect. What, what do you want to set up from everything that does not happen? Yeah. Yeah, let's go there. Let's start that. Yeah, that's perfect. Um, man, I will just I'll jump off. It's kind of exciting. It's something I've been thinking a lot about. Um, starting training this past week. Um, I think first and foremost, uh we take for granted sometimes that we think people sorry, we think parents uh and players have the understanding of everything because they're competitive or a travel player. Um I think the most important part is just education to the parents and, and somewhat to the players, but most of the parents. Um, and then some of them, this could be their first time through. It could be their youngest kid coming through. Um, it could be brand new to, to that level. But I think the other part is uh, communication. I just feel like we take for granted uh, the most simple pieces of communication and organization at this age, and we sometimes forget exactly what what, what it's like and what it takes. And, and, and just, so I think first thing I'd say just from watching my first week here at training with these ages is just education of parents and the players and what the process is and what we're trying to, you're trying to do at your club, but more just making sure people understand your why and yeah. not necessarily why soccer yeah, is part of it, but like, you know, why it's important to show up on, on time, time. Yeah. show up prepared. Uh, you know, what they should bring to train, what we should be aware of when, um, you know, they're, they're at train. Uh, just small things like that would be like my first part. Education and communication is so important. I think we take for granted the idea that, um, like the simple things of wearing shin guards to practice, wearing cleats, uh, bringing in enough water for the entire session. Um, what time you get dropped off, what time you get picked up, uh, the, those little things like that, bringing a backpack or, or, or things like that, I think are, are extremely critical. And they, we, at times as soccer coaches, as you said, we take them for granted because they're, we, we do them um, subconsciously. We just, we just run through them, right? We don't really think about it. We just kind of go along with them. But I think from a, from a player perspective, especially at the U9 level, when that's their first experience to it the, the idea of being able to give everybody a detailed breakdown of everything i mean if you look at it from a school standpoint right you get a back to school list every year whether you've been in school the first year or your last year you get a back to school list of like here are the things you need to have just so that way you have your you have the ability to be prepared and it's not only so much the idea of being prepared i think it's it gives you it opens the door for you to be able to get the most out of the experience right so um we talk about development all the time if you're if you are the most prepared you can be, right? So you're as prepared as you can be. That'll open up 
your ability to be developed to a higher level, right? Or or as, as you'll be able to reach your potential faster or you have more opportunities to do that, whether in, in, in the other side of it, you're less prepared, right? So, um, what about, so, so that's fantastic from an organizational standpoint. Um, what about from a technical and tactical standpoint? What what's important at zone one? At zone one at the youngest age groups. I haven't been really my most recent director was ever seen these ages and uh, or nine U nine and ten. And uh, I think in the in the year and a half, two years I've been away from it, uh, I'd say that uh, I feel like I feel like it's uh, a lot has changed in the methodology at our club, but also I think nationwide on what how you approach training this age, and I think that's it's been in a very positive way. Um, we have a guy at our club now that, that oversees his ages for us. He's been fantastic on really implementing uh, more of a, a play practice play. Um, more of a game oriented game like situations with with how you play um so i think that to me is from a coaching standpoint then that would be my focus as far as just organizing my practices where kids are enjoying themselves kids are seeing things repli- repetitions and replication of the match we take for granted kind of thinking back to my first point we take for granted sometimes i think uh you know a goal kick at a U9 age. Yeah. We think sometimes, oh, it's fine. We'll just figure that out. No, I mean, that's, those need repetitions. Those need practice, not just from, you know, what you want to do defensively or on the attack with it, just implementing the ball back and play. Well, and the (laughs) idea that even at the U9 level, you're talking about build out. Right. So you're, you're talking about, I think again, it goes back to the organizational standpoint of like, and you, you made the point of, of communicating with the parent and the family. what you know do you give them the rules of the game right yeah, you give no, them the laws of the game certainly. right like that's that's a huge part of it because ultimately at the youngest level that's ultimately where we see the most parent attendance right as they get older less parents show up to things sure um and that's where the parents are the most excited because they're seeing their kid run or be active or or do something competitive or or you know they're they're playing for quote unquote something right um maybe for the first time yep so there's a lot of excitement yep and there's there's a lot of um, this drive to want to say something because you feel like if you're if you're not encouraging your kid, even though we all know that most kids don't really hear much of what's going on in the sidelines, it's extremely negative. Um, but if you like you want to say something, so you, if you're gonna say something, we might as well prepare our parents to be able to at least say the right thing. Sure, not try to yell at a referee or shout for offsides when it's when you can't be offsides because you have a build up. <laughs> no, it's my favorite. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's. That's really what it comes down to. Sure. Uh, but getting back what you said, I think that's my first approach would be, you know, I think it kind of goes that way, right? We, we think we want to jump in and teach everything technically and tactically, but I think that's probably step three. I think the way you, you know, we've identified, like, it's got to be the parents and the players educated. It's got to be the coaches educated on what we want them to approach the training sessions. And then lastly, I think in that area, uh, technically, you want players to be comfortable on the ball. Um, again, lots of huge discussions about opposed and unopposed. I think at this age, obviously a lot more success, so maybe some unopposed work. Um, but making it as realistic 
to the max as possible. Um, I think at that at this age too, I think I've changed my personal opinion that uh, I haven't I wouldn't haven't seen as much time spent with technical work, uh, and I think that's okay. I think it's it, it doesn't mean there's no right or wrong way, but I think now to me, I'd rather start explaining to players because I think they're starting to get to that point where they they can dribble a ball well. They're gonna do it. Um, if they need to work on it, that's up to them. I think you still hate to take that mentality, but I think I'd rather stress the tactical point of numbers. And when I say tactics, I mean like 2v2, 2v1, 3v2, 3v3. Um, you know, what we're looking to do in this part of the field. I think that at a young age can start to be done a lot quicker because I think players are more talented on the ball that you can start to stress that. But I also start to think too, um, a lot of times I think people at this age, especially always want to work on individual skill work. That's something I would go far away from. I mean, I think that's, that's, that's a player's responsibility a little bit on their own. That's not 15, 20 minutes of practice doing footwork on top of the ball. Let's get them repetitions in 2v1 situations so that they, that's the match for them. And, that, and that's all they're seeing at those U9 to U12 ages is how good you are in those, in those numbers moments, in my, in my opinion. I think it's really interesting because I think, you know, we we do tend to, from a from a historical standpoint, right, we tend to do the technical work at the youngest age groups and then do the tactical work at the oldest age groups. But I agree with you. I think the the it's shifting a little bit where there is a lot more work on the tactical part of it. Um, I think it also, you know, it, it talks about this idea of, you'll get from a, from a South America and European standpoint, this idea of street soccer, right? You, you know, you, you learn the technical, you, you learn ball mastery by being just playing as much as possible. Yeah. And at times playing against older players or playing in bad surfaces because it, it forces you to have to have more control on the ball. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, at times it's easy to have ball control when you're on the perfect pitch. Um, you know, playing on a bumpy surface that you, you know, the ball pops up, but pops up at you randomly, then you have to be able to adjust to that. And, and you learn how to now basically see all these different scenarios in your head. Um, so I think it's interesting that that's shifting. What, what I also find interesting is that I think if you take the tactical approach to things, right, or put them in scenarios that they're ultimately going to see in their game at their age groups, you have the ability to at times make up for the tactic for the technical deficiency that your team might have because you're tactically smarter than the other team. Sure. So at times, yeah, the U9, U10, U11, U12 age groups, you're going to have one team or one player that's going to be bigger, faster, and stronger. Than the rest of the players or in the field. a special player that can take on people and score goals in and at those and at those small fields sometimes that'll make the difference right that'll make the difference because that player is going to be able to score two or three goals by themselves without really any opposition or be able to get past the, past the opposition that they have where in, in 11 v 11 that's a lot of harder to see right it's it's harder to see that more field space more players they're the older tactically right. smarter or at times or, or at least more mature um so it's interesting to to see that because I think I think we are starting to I think we sometimes we don't teach tactics because if we feel like the kids aren't smart enough or they're not developmentally ready. Sure. What where I think it's the other way around. I mean, if we look at the generations now, they they pick things up super quickly. They're like sponges. Yeah. Um, so so teaching them the number system early on, um, really for the number system, just to understand the. For me, I think that's something that's that communication. Gets, so that's what exactly. The 
no one it, it's a it's a communication across the board that everybody can pick up and use i mean we've all been in the set we've all been in the setting where you say hey little johnny little little susie you're gonna get on the field oh we're you're gonna go in for x player oh where are they playing and obviously yeah internally you want to be like well you should be paying attention you should be doing this and in the, realistically, you know, nine-year-olds sometimes might not be paying attention sure. if they're not actively playing. So you can say, oh, listen, you're going to go in and play as a nine. All right, cool. Got it. Perfect. Done. Like, I think that's part of education, too, because then that's the... It, it's something that I think positive has come out of U.S. soccer, finally implementing that and using that with their education stuff and, and using it to the point of it becoming... It's it's transferable now to our players and our parents. So now people know if someone calls someone can, what those key qualities of the number 10 is, yeah. um, even at a young age. And so I think that's important where you're right, that you're, you're, you're teaching those tactics. And I think, I think players, as, as we get better as a country and we get more organized as a whole, I think players are going to spend the time on the ball, uh, that they need to spend the ball. And I think the one, the last thing I'd say for this age is to provide an extra training night opportunity in your club. Um, that's something that uh, we've done here with with our top-end players as well as our any, any U9-12 competitive player as well. Um, but those moments, whether sometimes that's a small-sided setup, right, they just show up and get to play. Like that's something a night where it's three v three and they they know they can come in and play, whether it be a, a technical session, um, you know, you're not going to get everybody there, but you're going to get some kids that now there's a focus to an extra session outside their team environment, and I think that goes a very long way to developing not only the player but developing uh, your you're developing their passion and you're developing a future player to understand what it's going to be like if they want to, to, to keep around. Yeah, it's a really good way to wrap it up. Thanks again for, for joining us. Sure thing, man. Thanks. All right, Duane, um, U.S. men's national team. Let's look at the roster, right? That got announced for, for the three games. Big uh, mark. Yeah, so, so games coming against uh, Jamaica and Austin, Texas. Away at Panama. Sold out, by the way. Yeah. Sold out. Can't get a ticket. Uh, away in Panama. Might be able to get a ticket there. I'm not, uh, you can't get back in the country. Well, uh, yeah. Uh, and then um, Columbus, or sorry, Costa Rica in Columbus. So, Ooh, what if you can uh, get a ticket for that? I mean, we can go road trip, road trip. Uh, midweek road trip. Hey, uh, uh, so, so twenty-seven men roster was announced. Uh, big surprise! Uh, right off the bat, right in the right in the in the first the first announcement that usually come out of the goalkeepers. Big surprise right off the bat there that um, Horvath is is out. Yeah, it's a. You got to look at the guys that are in form. You know, uh, right now, I think it's definitely, you know, where Zach Steffen was the shoe in. It's definitely a battle between him and Matt Turner. Whoever's hot, Matt Turner's playing games. Uh, 
might get the nod, right? That might that might turn some heads, you know, because he's he's in the season, he's the starter. You know, Zach Steffen, you got to wait for those cup matches to get around to get some time. So I think Matt Turner's leading the way there. And then Sean Johnson, probably the same thing, you know, uh, playing games, active in the season, you know, MLS season's winding down, getting ready to gear towards the playoffs. So that might be why we're looking at that spot and figure out who that third goalkeeper is going to be, who's going to be hot at the right time. Because when this World Cup rolls around, it's in, what, November, December of 2022? Yep. MLS season is just going to be ending. So these players are going to be at top form, especially if they're playing in the MLS playoffs. Yeah. Um, so defenders, uh, I, I mean, maybe a little bit of some some surprises there, but for the most part. Um, I mean, you know, Miles Robinson definitely locked down a spot. Yep. Uh you know, I'm wondering what happened to uh, um, Brian Reynolds, Reggie Cannell, Reggie Cannon, Reggie, Reggie Cannon. Yeah, wondering what's going on with him. Uh, Brian Reynolds, I mean, he's just not getting time at Roma. That's the yeah. tough part there. You Mourinho, know, Mourinho. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely. It was definitely a good move for him. I mean, FC Dallas is producing a lot of players, but it's just not getting minutes. You got to get minutes to get into this group, right? Yeah, but I mean, I think I think I think the back line's back line's solid. I think it's a it's a good it's a good back line. Chris Richards um, reappears on this list. Yeah. Um. So big back mark. to big marks on there. Um. You got Shaq Moore, Tim Ream. Uh. You know, DeAndre Yedlin's back. So then you move on to the midfield, and and ultimately you end up with with some of the the same players that you've had and then a couple of new ones so uh kellen acosta tyler adams Gianluca busio yes sebastian legit of course you know he's got to be there because he's he's locked in um weston mckinney Eunice musa is back well, that's exciting christian roldan and then the the new the newcomer there is luca de la torre from yeah he played overseas i don't know he still is overseas right Didn't yeah he's he overseas He's at no, he's at uh Ericlis now in um in Holland. But he was at Fulham before, right? Like he was part of that American group that was yes. Yes. All of our Americans overseas were at Fulham. Yeah. Uh yeah. So um yeah, he yeah, so Ericlis is a team that plays in the Eredivisie in the in uh the Netherlands. Uh so uh, um, so yeah, good for him. Um, and it's good. Like Borholter before only had like five midfield, like three midfielders in the last cycle, like three, you're going to play in the midfield midfielders. Like obviously we have players that can adapt and play different positions if needed, but it's good to see this group expand. Um, now it's good to see Weston McKinney's back, you know, that hopefully he learned from his situation in the last yes. qualifier to, uh, mature a little bit and be that leader because that's what we're counting on him to be. Cause I mean, if you look at this group, I mean, Kellen Acosta is older, Sebastian Lichett's older. We can talk about in terms of like just a leader on the field. I'm looking at Weston McKinney. Well, and ultimately since now you don't have Christian Pulisic and Gio Reyna coming for this one because of their injuries, you, you need some different players and that kind of leads to the forwards. So you got Brendan Aronson, Paul Ariola. Matthew Hoppy, 
um, Ricardo Pepe, Tim Wea back in, which I'm excited about that. And then, um, I mean, I think, I think you and Mike, Mike Barcario talked, called it. Yeah, you and Mike talked about this. Uh, uh, Yazzie Zardes back in the squad. Um, it, which, which kind of, which is difficult. You know, you you you're leaving out Jordan Pifok and uh, and your and and Josh Sargent. I mean, we talked about it. Was it last week or was it two weeks ago? We talked about it, man. Josh Sargent. What has he done? Yeah, I mean, he, he's living off of this this name, this legacy, this youth national team thing, which is cool. But you gotta be like Erling Holland, like he scored like eleven goals in like a World Cup qualifier at the youth stage or whatever. Right. And now look at him, Josh Sargent. You did all this stuff in the, as a young young boy. Now you got to do it as an old head with the big boys. So, um, and I mean, Burhalter said his squad's gonna be big, so this could be him just rotating through guys. Getting them different looks, getting them that Concacaf experience that, you know, once this hexagon starts to uh, close down and get to the meaningful stages, he starts to trim that list and say, "These are the guys I can really depend on. These are the war ready guys." So, I mean, the the thing is, Josh Sargent's gotten games. He's only played two games with Norwich. Now, granted, he hasn't scored, hasn't scored, but I mean, Norwich doesn't score in general, so it's not like. Um, well, that's why they bought him. No, for sure. No, I, I get that part of it, but um, so it's I think it's difficult. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I think it'll be a strong, strong, strong squad. I think you, you bring a little more experience. I think this time around than maybe maybe in the previous one, and uh, and hopefully the the U.S. men's national team can walk away with uh, you know you're playing two two home and one away. Um, so you figured you know you walk away with seven points out of the. Out of the uh, out of the window, and you're you're okay. Yeah, that's the big thing. Is can we leave a points? Because can, the, the big point. thing is, can you? The big thing is, can you leave with seven points? A minimum of seven points. You don't want to drop. You don't want to drop. Uh, you don't want to drop four out of the nine and come away with five points. That that would be that would be bad. So I think it would be if you you drop you come in with seven. I think you're you're in you're in good. Like the, the most important game is going to be that game at Panama, right? Like you're going to, you figure we'll win one of these games at home. Yeah. Um, at least one of them at home, which is good because you're home twice, but it's that game in Panama. Can you, if you can get out of there with points, you kind of set yourself up to, you know, to play a strong, strong three game window. So that's, that'll be the tell all. Yeah, for sure. Um. All right. So moving on to the Champions League, let's talk about the Champions League. Um. Actually, no. We won't. We will actually. We won't talk about the Champions League because then that'll lead into my player of the match. We'll we'll talk about let's let's talk about NWSL for a minute. Uh, so crazy news over the last week and a half. Um, in NWSL or in the world of women's soccer. Uh, so we'll start overseas first. Um, so um. Mark Clattenburg, uh, referee, former referee, um, comes out and puts out a tweet that basically says uh, women have to women referees have to choose between being a referee and being pregnant and being a mother. Apparently, according to him, you can't really do both things. You can only choose to do one. Um, 
which I think at this point, uh, we all know that that's definitely not the case. Uh, we've seen it with multiple athletes across multiple sports. Um, I think tennis is probably maybe the sometimes the biggest example uh, with Serena Williams coming back after after having a baby and and still being one of the best tennis players in the world. Um, and you see it all over the world with with soccer players, basketball players, softball players, with everybody. They would have kids and come back and be at the top of their profession. So I'm not entirely sure why a this comment needs to be made and b the comment is that problem. Um, what why do we need to make the like again? Parent or men have kids. Well, they don't give birth, but men are dads too, and still have responsibilities and are still able to do their jobs. Why wouldn't we allow, or why wouldn't we encourage women to do the same thing? Um, so that was that was one that was the one overseas, and then closer to home. Holy moly! Um, so the Washington Post uh, did this entire uh, report on the Washington spirit and the Washington spirit, uh, NWSL team. That's for us down kind of down the road. Um, and did a whole entire, uh, somewhat investigation on the inner workings of the Washington spirit, uh, going through the staff members, the, the number of people that worked in the organization, um, and started realizing that it was somewhat a male driven environment, um, and, and somewhat toxic for, for, for women. Uh, and ultimately what it led to was um, the NWSL taking charge and firing the coach, Richie Burke, uh, from the team altogether uh, based on uh, abuse, of sexual, sexual misconduct, um, and mistreatment of players and, and things like that, going as far as uh, giving player a somewhat racially inappropriate nicknames um, in making sexual comments and things like that, which ultimately obviously have no place in the world and, and let alone the soccer world. Um, so, I mean, how the, how in the world are we still dealing with this? This stuff? Like, why is this stuff going on? Like, I don't, and then to put the, you know, cherry on top of all of it. Um, This this happened this happened today, like at 3 a.m. like or last night. Uh North Carolina Courage fired Paul Riley as their coach because of sexual uh coercion and misconduct. Um a bunch of players have come through. Apparently, at least been at least one player per year since 2010 that have now come through and uh and said that he's he's attempted to or he's had sex with one of them, or one of them is reporting that he had sex with her, um, watching, doing film reviews in his underwear in a hotel room. Um, like it, it just again, I, it's just like one of those things. Like you gotta, you gotta use like people have to use better judgment. No matter how good the coach is, no matter what he brings to the organization, you know, if people are coming, it's been eleven years. If you've had people like, all right, maybe the first time you say, okay, like keep this in the back. My head comes out twice. It's like, all right, we need to start looking into this. But if it's coming up three, four, multiple times, there's got to be some truth to it, you know. And you gotta, you gotta look into it, cut ties, and 
you know, nip these things in the butt early and can't let these things blow out of proportion where then now you have, you know, at least 11 people saying something who are victims. And then, you know, it hurts your organization in the long run because then you go to court, you have to pay all this compensation. And it's like, you know, we could have handled it out at this guy, you know, exposed him early on in his career and then kind of moved on with it. Like he shouldn't have had the opportunity to continue to, yeah, you know, do all of these things to different well, people. Well, not only that, like, so I, the one, the one, the one thing that I thought was, was good was us soccer um, has gone in and, and basically um, suspended him from, from being a soccer coach in this country. So he's not, he's not allowed to be a soccer coach. Uh, the U S soccer or the U S center for safe sport is uh, conducting an investigation in this. Um, which I think, and, and I think this leads me to the other point where, where I think we're we're heading in a, hopefully in a direction where safe sport is now mandated by by U.S. soccer and by U.S. club soccer, and I, hopefully the other organizations, the other um, soccer governing bodies in this country are are mandating as well. But those are the two that we're familiar with. But you're 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 we're hopefully starting to see that other sports need to take take this action as well. Uh, safe sport training um, not only does it does it educate um, does it educate coaches and, and and members that will be working with teams and players, but I think it also per, hopefully protects the players when things do happen. There is a way to there is a way to report things. There is a way to make sure that things are reported early and properly, so that way things don't get miss, missed or things don't get filed under. Oh, it was misfiled, or uh, it wasn't filed at the proper time, or things like that. So, there, there's now hopefully more, more security with this, and more protection for players and, and staff members that to make sure that things like this do not happen anymore. Right. Um, but it is absolutely ridiculous. It's crazy that that it's still continuing to happen. Um, but I am glad that there are steps being made to make sure that these people do not coach again and they're just not around the game anymore um i think the hardest the one that kind of like was was weird to me was or not weird but kind of hit home a little bit was the washington spirit one with richie burke mostly because i've i've watched the guy in uh in in a like a online coaches conference thing that i did last year and now I'm like felt sick to my stomach. Like I want to delete the video of him like coaching or talking and stuff like that about player development. It's just it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, so again, hopefully we're starting to catch these things and making sure that they don't happen anymore. Um, but continuing to talk about it, I think is the the step in the right direction though. So hopefully safe sport does everything they need to. The NWSL does everything they need to and U S soccer does everything they need to. Um, yeah. All right. It, it's a it's a growing problem. I don't know that it's obviously there's stuff that's going on probably as we speak right now, right? Yep. But it's a growing problem. Um, you know, it's not something that we can just put the bricks on today and say, hey, listen, all this needs to stop. It's it's got to be it's got to be policies reform, all these kinds of things. It's unfortunate education. that it has to happen, but education, all that kind of stuff, to be able to prevent this from happening in the future. Yeah. A hundred percent. All right. Uh, moving on to the Champions League. Um, so Barcelona's on their way to the uh, Europa. What is the bottom? Where's Roma at right now? The Europa Conference League. 
the Europa Conference League. They might not even make that at this point. Well, I mean, they don't. You don't. You don't make it into that. You only make it into the uh, the Europa League. You don't. You don't go from the Champions League into the Conference League anymore. You don't do that. So. We focus on the or the Copa del Rey. Copa del Rey for the League Cup. Yeah, that's what the, that's what they'll be playing in. Um, about rotation, you're gonna have you're gonna thrash through that having starters playing that for the first time ever. Like, holy smokes! So, so this is the first time that apparently, according to the Champions League stats, um, Barcelona has played two games and has taken zero shots on goal. I mean, who's shooting the ball? I mean, well, I guess they have Memphis Depay, but Luke De Jong. He scored a goal, but you just got him August 31st. You expected him to come in and save the team. <laughs> I mean, so I'm hoping that I'm hoping that at some point, you know, hopefully this weekend, maybe they they get rid of Kuman. Not only that, I mean, tomorrow you play Atletico Madrid. <laughs> With, where, where you sold all your players. <laughs> They're Barcelona. Griezmann and Suarez are going to put three on you. <laughs> You're going to say, man, we let these guys go. And then not only that, the weekend after that, you got to play Valencia. Yeah, I mean, Barcelona, they've got I mean, to... the four, the next four games for Barcelona are absolutely, like, I think if you're going to make a coaching change, it needs to happen now because the next four games are absolute, like, key games for for the for the, the future of the team, right? You play Atletico Madrid, you play Valencia, you got your Champions League game at home against Dinamo Kiev, and then you play Real Madrid. Right. Like so, you got you go midweek, midweek before Real Madrid. So I think what they need to like, so they they got to do a couple of things, right? And I think it starts, you know, it's tough to do this in the middle of the season, but they need to figure out: Are we going to the fountain of youth, or are we going to sign highly touted veterans? Because, well, I mean, you can't sign anybody now. Right, but like, what's their action team's going to go? Because if they need to be in rebuild mode. Be in rebuild mode. If you're gonna try to compete, let's go compete. But right now they're kind of yeah, straddling but, that line. But how I, I still don't get that part though. Like, how is it that you can't compete with one of the best like academies in the world? You, some I, of the- I'll tell you why you don't play your like you play Gavi, you play Fati, you don't play Pooch, right? Yeah. So it's like I mean Pedri that was purchased. But if you're going to go to the academy system, play these guys. Like, yeah. play a rookie pooch. What's like, we've been saying, it, what's the worst that happens? We sell them after the COVID restart. He played, and what happened? Changed I mean, I think, I, I think, I think the hard part is that, like, you're still trying to hang on to certain players. Like, I think PK, clearly, you can see it in the Benfica game. He gets subbed out 30 minutes into the game because he was basically, he was on a yellow and borderline about to get thrown out of the game. Because he's just so he's done. He's he's just slow. Like he just can't. He, he well, he was never fast, but, but he can't keep he's up. Done. He, he he's not a high level. He's not a top tier player anymore. And he's one of those players that, even though it's he's starting to get out. Of, like he's probably out of his prime by now. But he can't play at this level anymore. Like he needs to go to an MLS where he can use his technical ability, use his wits, use his knowledge, and play. Um, so yeah, so Barcelona clearly loses. Uh, Sergio Busquets, man, gotta go. <laughs> um, then 
probably one of the biggest upsets in probably all of uh, Champions League history. Sheriff. Sheriff. From Moldova. Who I looked at their entire roster for that game. Not a single Moldova player played on the starting 11 or came in off the bench. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, but the, the club was founded in 1997. So, so fairly a new club. Fairly new club. Uh, complete roster value of about 17 million euros. You got guys. Gareth, <laughs> that's Gareth Bale. Makes that like a week. <laughs> uh yeah, I mean, you got Timo Courtois is probably worth more than that by himself, right? Like, <laughs> Vinicius, Vinicius, Vinny, Vinny, Vinny Jr. He's worth more. He's worth more. Eden Hazard's worth more. Marcos Asensio is probably worth more. Uh, he didn't play, uh, but Eduardo Camavinga, we know, is for sure worth more than that. Big Ben's is worth more. Yeah, Valverde's more. Casemiro more. Alaba's more. So uh, clearly, you you have um, there was definitely a mismatch, but but and not only that, they only two, four, six, eight, nine. They only brought nineteen players to the game. <laughs> One of them drove the bus. <laughs> you only One you only them. brought you only brought nineteen twenty players to the game instead of the full twenty two or twenty three that you can bring. Um, yeah, Tony Cross on the team, Luka Modric. You got balloon day. They 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 can't even spell balloon day or yeah. So, they are. so yeah. So uh, good for good for sheriff for for having one of the biggest upsets in in uh, in Champions League history. So good good for them. I mean, right now sheriff is two and zero, top of the group. Let's just put that out there. Considering they beat Shakhtar uh, in the first week. So the sheriff, sheriff almost, I think sheriff is one win, a, one win a game, one win away or three draws away from guaranteeing themselves at least, at least Europa League. They're getting paid. Then they go get it, Tony Cruz. Now, now, now you're, I mean, you're in a, you're in a group with Inter Milan as well. Like, let's not forget that Inter's in this group too. I mean, there's going to be some. There's going to be some upset teams that you know. It's it's not the. <laughs> this is why we wanted the Super League, right? That's right. Yeah, you wanted the Super League to get out of this. Always, sheriff, sheriff, don't come close to the Super League. But I think these teams realize that, you know, this might be something that's, you know, it might be like a March Madness type thing where these teams come into these Champions League and they fight and they battle and they grit. And they're I mean, forced to be reckoned with, right? Because they play that, they almost play like that, that Kaka style of soccer we talk about. Like it's that, it's not pretty, it's not meant to be good, but they can battle and they can fight. And they're used to be, they want to be the underdogs. They want to fight for that prize money. You know, I, I, it's like, hey, I collect garbage 28 hours a week. Yeah. And uh, if I get to the Europa League, I can quit my job for a couple of years. Oh, come on. There's no way the sheriff guys are, are working part-time jobs on top of uh no way. You don't think so? No, sheriff guys are full professional guys. You're playing first division. Most of first division, first division clubs are 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 fully paid. Come like I would get it if you're if you're playing in the fourth division of the of the EPL. 
Um, but but no, no shot. No shot. Any of these guys work a part time job? Nah, not 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 at least one that they actually need. No chance. Because again, they're not not a single one of them from Moldova. I would understand if your entire squad was from Moldova in, in general. That would be, I think, a different different story. Um, but in the group of death, right? So we we had talked about Liverpool, Atletico Madrid, Porto, and Milan uh, being the the kind of the the toughest group because they they had the most amount of um, most amount of uh, just quality teams. Uh, Liverpool absolutely dominating the group, absolutely dominant over the group. They look good uh, now, right now. Yeah, I mean, just just a good, just good, solid. You know, scored eight goals in two games. Beat beat Porto five one. AC Milan, though, one of the like kind of very very much underwhelming club, underwhelming team right now. You you lose your first game, and now you lose your second game. Just uh, somewhat upsetting there. Um, but then big winners of the weekend, I think, too, are Bruges. Bruges coming in and uh, beating Leipzig, who is Dude. underperforming. I forget who Bruges played a couple of weeks ago, but they, like the way they attacked, man, is is played very... PSG. Yeah, when they played PSG, that's what it was. Yep. Dude, the way they attack is like they have it down pat. Like they're going to score goals and they're going to make it difficult unless you can possess out possess them. Like that's where that tiki taka comes into play. It's like don't let them have the ball. And then the one group that we talked about being somewhat of a still level group, maybe not as strong of a group to make it very far, but a, a, a solid group. But nonetheless, is Group G, which is Salzburg, Sevilla, Wolfsburg, and Lille. And Salzburg pulling out a win against Lille with just PK Kings. Five, five PKs in two games. This weekend, they actually, or this week, they actually scored both PKs. Uh, but That's five, what Mark Plattenberg should be upset about. Uh, the fact that there's that many PKs. And they're giving out 55 PKs. Yeah. Um, Chelsea with the loss against Juve. And Manchester United with the last-minute win by Ronaldo uh, against Villarreal. But this all leads me to my player of the match because we there is one game which is, might have been probably the most watched game of the week, um, unless you're a Sheriff supporter. Uh, but uh, <laughs> the most watched game on Tuesday, my jersey will get here in a couple of days. Was probably the uh, PSG Manchester City game. Um, Pep already knew what was going to happen. That's the sad part. The thing is, the first half was the first half was interesting. I thought PSG, like obviously scoring early helps, but PSG did not look as strong in the first half. I thought City looked stronger and probably could have could have done something um, more. Obviously, Donnarumma. Made some decent saves. Um, man, he is massive. He is super big. He's like like twenty one. It's a kid. He's just he, yeah, but he's so tall. Like it's it's shocking when he comes out. I think what's what's like really like shocking about him is when he comes out. I mean, he's six five, so he's a big guy. Um, but when he comes out for crosses, he like barely gets off the ground. He's already above everybody else anyway. Yeah, and the thing that he. Starting at the age of 16, starting. Yeah, I mean, but, but yeah, we've known about Dunner. The fact that AC Milan let him go on a free for free is insane. Um, but Messi gets his first goal with PSG. And I was listening to some Argentinian 
uh, reporters talk about this. And one of the things they said, which I thought was interesting, was if you're, this was a typical messy Barcelona goal, right? You see it at PSG and it becomes almost shocking. Like, oh my God, what an amazing goal. If you saw it at Barcelona, it's just like, oh, that's just, that's exactly routine, routine goal for him at Barcelona. So the fact that he's starting to, he's starting to link up with Neymar and Mbappe uh is is really good and ultimately leads to my player of the match um and that being messy not only for this amazing goal but also for the fact that he went into the wall and laid on the ground and there's some people that are upset about the fact that like messi shouldn't have to do that no no like that's exactly what he should do like you're you're a player on the team man you're one of the 11 let's go you gotta lay down you gotta lay lay on the ground if you if Marquinhos tells you, "Yo, Messi, let's go on the ground, sir," you you go and lay on the ground. You know who's not laying on. You know, Mbappe did and Mbappe did it afterwards. I, I was going to say, you know, who's not laying on the ground is Mbappe because no, Mbappe dude, Mbappe did it like five minutes after. He's a piece of glass. I'm surprised because if, if somebody's stud would have just grazed him, he'd have been out for six to eight weeks. <laughs> This no, dude Bob- like a piece of. I'm surprised he even played yesterday. I thought he was going to be out for two months. The way no, he was no, coming no. up hurt that other game. <laughs> All right, uh, who's your player of the match? Player of the match, man. Long awaited. You know, been waiting the name of my player of the match for over a year. Ansu Fati makes his return, scores a goal. And to think they played Levante. Yeah. So. Absolutely. And then goes and celebrates with the doctor that helped him through everything. He had to have three surgeries after his initial surgery to be able to return and ten took months. him a year. Yeah, 10 months he was out. 10 months. It took him a year to get back and, you know, to come back and score a goal. Fati's back. And that's why I gave him the number 10. So if I'm Barcelona, take all the old heads out. My squad's under the age of like 30. Get rid of Kuma first, then you can get rid of. Uh, I mean, keep Aguero. Aguero's over thirty. Keep three Aguero's over still thirty. Yet, yet to play. You got to have three overage players. Everybody else has got Jordi. To. Jordi Alba. He can stay. He could be an overage player. Uh, Sergio Roberto over thirty. Shouldn't be. Here's my three that are out: PK, Busquets, and uh, twenty nine. You're good. What about Ter Stegen? No, nah, he can stay. He's a, he's a beast. All right. But PK and Busquets got to go. They got to go. Okay. All right. Braithwaite's got to go, too. Well, but he, he, he shouldn't have been out there to begin with. That's my third that has to go. Braithwaite has got to go. Can't be he's, here. He's out for like another month, I think. So. Um, make, make it permanent. <laughs> permanent. Permanent. Released on injury designation. <laughs> Pretty sure you're not allowed to do that. Um, yeah. All right, on this day in soccer history, um, on this day in soccer history, uh, October 1st, 1996. Um, so, Duane, if I asked you who is one of the, who is, if I asked you longevity in the Premier League as far as coaching, who are two of the coaches that maybe spring to mind? Longevity and coaching. Overseas? No, in the Premier League. In the Premier League, like currently coaching a team? No. If I just said longevity, what who are the what are the two names that spring to mind about like 
same so, club forever. Same, same club, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sir Alex Ferguson and Arsene Wenger. Yep, that's right. So uh, Arsene Wenger uh, takes over Arsenal uh, on October 1st, 1996. Um, so at the time, Johan Cruyff was was almost almost uh, appointed for the job, but Arsenal takes um, takes a chance on an unknown. Uh, who was coming in from Japan, um, and uh, he takes on the job, and Arsenal would go on to do some great things with with Arsene. And uh, yeah, so October first, nineteen ninety six, on this day in history, Arsene Wenger starts at Arsenal. So it was a good day for for the Gunners. Um, yeah, only man to uh, lead an undefeated team. That's right. That's Premier right. League history. Yep. My cousin was on that team. <laughs> he now he's back on TV. Yeah, I know. I was talking to somebody. I had it, you know, I had the game rolling at the smart board and he was on afterwards because I kind of like left. But yeah, it's my cousin on TV. <laughs> there you go. Um, all right, fair play of the week. My fair play of the week goes out to the NWSL and US soccer for um making some moves and 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 getting rid of some of these these people. Um, so congrats to them. Uh, I'm going to tag along and give it my fair play of the week out to the Birmingham Magistrates Court. They uh, gave this guy a eight-week prison sentence on Thursday. Um, he targeted a player from West Brom uh, online, you know, racial abuse, that kind of stuff. So uh, got eight weeks in prison. So Good. Perfect. I, we should start doing that. You you start out, you you send that a racial tweet or put out something bad online, boom, eight weeks in jail. Let's go. Eight weeks. I'm I'm all for that. Learn your lesson. And the player got 500 pounds after that, out of that. <laughs> he, he, got paid, donated. he got, oh, yeah, I was going to say, good. He's going to donate to charity. Oh, <laughs> he got paid off of the, that's an interesting retribution. Yeah, because at that point, then then all the players started snitch hotline and you're going to have players <laughs> who fake Fake Twitter fake, accounts. Fake Twitter accounts. Oh, that's that would be really bad. Um, all right. Uh, make sure you follow us on social media on facebook.com slash Delaware Union on Instagram at Delaware Union Soccer on, on Twitter at DE Union Soccer. Uh, make sure you su- subscribe and like the podcast wherever you're that you're listening. Uh, big shout out, extra special shout out to my mom who's her birthday is today. Um, so feliz cumpleaños. As I say, feliz cumpleaños. There you go. Uh, well, I don't know how you. How would you say it in French? In French, uh, right? Very similar. Probably like feliz couple, uh, feliz couple. <laughs> French and Spanish are very similar. Uh, are they? Really? Um. Ooh, bon anniversary. Je. Oh, that's the anniversary of your birth. Jewish anniversary? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but shout out to them. Uh, shout out to to my mom and the GM for uh, they're in uh, my dad. My dad's doing a, an exchange program with PSG. Currently, he's in a, he's in a ten day he's in a ten day exchange program with PSG. Uh, him and Messi are hanging out, uh, doing some stuff in uh, in Paris. So, uh, all right, thanks for joining us this week, and remember, always receive the ball on your front foot. Mm-hmm.